Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of True to the Cougs, brought to you by Believe Network. My name is Jamie Vinnick of KookFan.com. With me, as always, is my co-host, Seahawk and Kook legend Marcus Trufant. Marcus, how's it going? I'm chilling, my man. What's going on, Jamie? How you feeling? Oh, feeling good. Feeling good. Uh, I had some friends up this past weekend, had some good times, uh, indulging in some adult uh, some adult beverages, and uh, yeah, oh, it was I good like stuff. Um, I know you were out trick-or-treating last night with the kiddos. Uh, how, was, uh, how was that? Uh, and which... Uh, we don't have to tell them which of the five kids had the best costume. Um, man, um, you know, when you're a parent and they come into your room and they play these contests of who's better, all my kids did a good job. They they kind of mixed it up this year. I had some Sonic uh characters from Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, Fireman, of course, that was my son. My other girls were princesses from Mario, but me and my wife um set it up, she was. The Crayola uh, Cruella DeVille and our puppy, which is a golden doodle, was dressed up like a um, a Dalmatian. And I was a dog catcher. So you could go to my social media, Marcus underscore true fun and see all our wonderful pictures. But we had a blast, man. We went out trick or treating, man. It's like a party area that's over in Seattle, man. The whole neighborhood gets involved, man. There's adult fun going on. There's fun for the kids. Uh, pretty much. All of the houses participate, so it's a good look, man. Good time. We was in and out in like two hours, so that was like a record for us. That was good. I liked the uh, the Star Trek one you posted on Instagram too. That one, that was fresh. That one, that one was sweet. I took it back. Yep, yep. I took it back, man. I had to pay respects to uh, to all my Trekkies out there. So um, yeah, I used to watch Star Trek with my dad back in the day. So yeah, man. Jordy LaForge. I put it down. <laughs> <laughs> See, I had no idea that my friends wanted to do costumes and everything, so I just threw on a football jersey and called it good. It, it makes it easy. I mean, as long as you yeah. had a beer, yeah. As long as you had a beer, but you should be good. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> before we get into recapping the uh, the Utah game, um, Marcus, any bets this weekend? Or are you taking any this weekend? Well, um, this weekend I didn't have any bets, but um, – there's a big game coming up, man. Tennessee, I mean, in UGA, man, that's that's a big-time spot, of course, for Tennessee. I know they're holding the number one spot right there, so it should be good, man. And I know um, I'm going to go with the under, man. I'm going to go with the under. Uh, I know the line, what is uh, 65.5, and I know that UGA defense is pretty stingy, so I'm going to go with the under, man. That's going to be my bet. So you got to ride with me. Ride with me on that. But now, if you're placing bets, where do you want to go and do them? Where do you usually go place your bets? Um, you got to go with the best place to do it, baby. That's bet online. I like it. I like it. Um, moving on to segment two now. Uh, <clears throat> Utah game did not go well. I mean, I don't think it. Uh, you have to. You have to mince words. The offense just could not move the ball again. Just 17 points. Um, it just seemed that, you know, Cam Ward had a really good game. He only threw four incompletions, no picks, did get strip sacked once uh, due to the offensive line. 
Maybe he ran into a sack or two, but he played a, a solid game, and they still couldn't get anything going. Uh, down a bunch of running backs. You know, receivers were better than they were against Oregon State, but there were still mistakes. I mean, you look at the play with, uh, you know, with Robert Farrell on a fourth down. He doesn't go upfield and doesn't get a first down. Um, and then the offensive line just continued to struggle. So, uh, unfortunately, um, kind of a similar result to what we've been seeing. What do you think it is, man? I know you said Cam I put the numbers up, man. He balled. He didn't have a bunch of incompletions and stuff like that. But to me, it seems like to get everything done for this offense, it's like they're climbing uphill in the mud, right? But to get a couple yards, it's like, okay, I got to scramble around. I got to do this. I got um, the wide receiver going in motion behind the backfield, and then it's only a gain of a couple yards. And I know this is the cool grade offense, so that some of those plays could be looked at as run plays. But it just seems to be like, man, the simplest stuff just seems to be too hard. I don't think they have like a bread and butter that they can really go to on the offense. And I think that's a part of the problem. What do you think, Jay? No, I, I agree. I mean, I honestly think so much of it comes down to the blocking. And and I'm going to include the wide receiver blocking from this past week. They tried to get the screen game going, and it didn't work because the receivers on the perimeter got blown up. Uh, right. I mean, it was – you know, and I know there was a lot of frustration from the fans about the screen game. And, you know, my kind of uh, comment to that would be you can't go vertically because your offensive line it can't protect long enough. You can't run the ball because you're really decimated without Jenkins and Watson. I, I mean, I, I could have seen more to the middle of the field maybe working, and maybe they should have done that. But, you know, they want to do run this screen game. They want the tunnel screen to be part of it. Um, and, again, I don't think that they should have ran it as much as they did and probably needed to adjust. But you, the receivers on the outside, they've got to block too. So right. as much heat as the offensive line has gotten for their struggles uh, protecting, <clears throat> Saturday was an example of the receivers and – it has been a tough year for the wide receivers. I mean, I don't think it's uh, unfair to say that. You know, you look at that Oregon State game in the drops. You look at the poor blocking. Um, it just hasn't all come together. And, you know, they, they've had some injuries, and, you know, they lost uh, they lost Calvin Jackson and Travell Harris. But I think the receiver group it's has been somewhat disappointing. Um, I think a lot of people expected it to be a lot better, a lot more effective, um, and they just haven't. I don't think they've helped out Cam a ton. I mean, and there's talent in the room. They're not devoid of talent. Yeah. I mean, definitely you know, there's talent there. Yeah. It, it just agree. it isn't working. And I think, you know, one thing Eric Morris talked about a couple of weeks ago is that, you know, it, it's it's not one unit. It's every execute every unit's not executing well enough. Um, and then he uh, one thing that Lincoln Victor said to me to me there said today, excuse me, that was interesting, was it, it always seems that you know, on a on one play, you'll have eleven guys. Ten guys will do something well. One guy messes up, and that costs the whole play. And, you know, he didn't call anyone out. And I think that's fair, though, is you'll have plays like that where you look at that screen play. Cam gets the ball there. The offensive line blocks. Uh, the running backs block. The receiver makes the catch. And then whoever's supposed to be blocking misses their assignment. So I, I don't think he's wrong. I just think it's not all coming together. And it's important to remember there's a lot of new faces on this offense. And they're still they're still uh, kinding, they're trying to, to gel. Uh, one thing I think Jake Dicker kind of likened it to is it's almost like the 2020 defense where he took over. The defense in 2020 wasn't great, but you saw signs. They got better in 21 and now are quite good in 2022. So I think it's somewhat of an offensive rebuild just because there's so much new personnel. That all being said, they've got to find a way to put up points. You know, you still got you got to go two and two in the last four to get to a bowl game, and you need to get to a bowl game because you need those extra practices right now. 100%. I would agree, man. And it uh... – 
Could be as simple, man, as um, changing up a few of the plays from a defensive standpoint. Um, it, just from me, kind of looking at this game, playing corner or if you're playing safety against the Cougs, you kind of know what's coming at you. They they do a bunch of stuff, um, kind of like window dressing, but they you pretty much get back to those same plays. It's the quick screens. It's the stuff to Pharaoh that, that's coming back in uh, to the line of scrimmage. A bunch of different stuff, but it's pretty much the same. And if you blow it up, um, th that it only takes one guy. Just like you said, it's one guy has to be off. So it's not like it's a smash mouth thing. I know we're running the cool game, but we got to find a way to find some type of bread and butter and get back to the running game, just like you said. So we'll find it. But uh, it's just tough to watch. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's it's unfair to say that. And I think it's it's just bizarre for Coug fans. You know, you go so many years of just dominant offenses, and now it's, you know, we're going to hold a team to 20 points, <laughs> 25 points. Are we going to get there, though? And it kind of, you know, it puts every game up for question. You know, you always figured with the Leach offenses, you know, there was a good chance you could put up 50 points and win. You're putting a lot of pressure on your defense to right. teams to 21 to 24 because it doesn't feel like the offense can score 30. I mean, they've only done it twice this year. And once was against Colorado State. Yeah. So, uh, we yeah, I, you know, yeah. something, something's hopefully got to change. But, you know, the defense was great. 21 points, and it was a missed opportunity because Utah was down uh, their starting quarterback, Cam Rising, and their top two running backs in Tavion Thomas and uh, Micah Bernard. But, you know, again, the defense did their job. You, you look at one of the touchdowns comes on a short field and after a really questionable uh, targeting call. And then, you know, they put together a couple scoring drives. They're a talented team. That that's that type of thing happens. But it, it's, you know, the little things Washington State did not execute. They they made the offensive mistakes, and then the special teams hurt them. You look at the kickoff out of bounds that led to Utah's first uh, scoring drive, and then yep. the second score um, on the punt that hits Cam Lampkin in the back of the leg. When your offense isn't performing at its best, you can't do those kind of things because it puts extra pressure on your defense to, you know, to come up with, you know, stops in shorter fields. And, you know, the, the punt one in particular, you look at Washington State was going to get the ball back, maybe even have a chance to take the lead in that situation. And instead, Utah takes the lead, well, ends up being the difference in the game. Yeah, man, it makes it super tough, man. Uh, just like you said, anytime the offense is struggling, the defense and the special teams, of course, got to uh, step up. And they were playing at home, so you would think um, – it's usually want to pack your defense and your special, uh, your special teams on the road, but you got to do that. If your offense is struggling, you got to find a way to make it work. And just like you said, the defense played solid, man. They had some nice stops. Um, they had a big stop down on the goal line. I know they had some fourth down stops. A lot of nice plays. They made some good plays, and they and um, you got to give it up to Barnes, though. You got to give it up to the backup quarterback. He, he came in and played well. I thought he did his thing. Um, I don't know the exact rules about college and what it that took place with Utah and their quarterback pretty much warming up. As you know, the camera's all in his face and doing everything like he's about to play. Got the hair coming out the back of the helmet and all that kind of stuff, looking like uh, he he normally does, like he's about to play. And then they just pull the switcheroo. I guess that's within the rules. And um, you just got to be able to react to it. Um, so, again, from the defensive standpoint, you should be looking your chops. Okay, it's the backup quarterback coming in. Um, they're – should be some gifts there and gifts. I'm talking about interceptions and fumbles and all that kind of stuff. It just didn't happen though. So, yeah, I mean, I Jake Dickert said after the game, you know, he thinks there should be some kind of rule where 
hour and a half before the game. You know, like a baseball team, they got to insert their or input their lineup card. Hour and a half before the game, you got to put who's playing and who's who's inactive. Um, You know, and so I think you know I I don't and Dicker wouldn't use that as an excuse, and I don't think you can use it as an excuse. It's still a guy who's. Oh, and no disrespect to Barnes, but Cam Rising is one of the better quarterbacks in, in the Pac-12. Right, right. It's a downgrade at that, at that position. It's not like they've been saying all week, a guy's out, a guy's out, a guy's out, then suddenly started them. It's kind of the reverse. So, yeah. you know, it's it's one yeah. of those where – Could have worked in our favor is what you say. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Um, But, you know, I think just uh, some disappointment. And, you know, I think you look at the start of the year and you said, oh, they'd be four and four through eight games. Most people probably would have said, yeah, it sounds about right. I, I, you probably would have thought – Wisconsin lost Oregon State win, but I don't think there's concern maybe where the record is. I think it's the concern of three straight losses and just how lethargic the offense has looked in the last three games. I mean, 14 points, 10 points, 17 points. It's just not yeah. going to win you many games. I mean, the schedule eases up. The only teams they've lost to are now all in the top 25. So that, you know, it, it gives you some hope that maybe they're just not quite there yet. But either way, um, hopefully they can reset this week against Stanford, which will segue or say, se- yeah, segue us into segment three. Stanford on the road, uh, in Palo Alto, Cougs have beaten the Cardinal five straight times, probably should have been six because Christian McCaffrey was in bounds when he was ruled out and fumbled in 2015. Anyways, more bad calls aside. Um, Stanford's a- an interesting team. They're a team that in their wins, they're giving up just 13 points a game in their three wins. When their losses, 38 points. Seems simple. Put up a lot of points, and you should be in a pretty good spot. Yeah, but um, but again, right, I, I think the thing about this Cougar team that may um, frustrate some of our Cougar fans and even me, right, um, what kind of consistency are we going to get from this Cougar team? What kind of team is going to show up on – any given Saturday, right? The offense um, started out hot, just like you talked about, getting um, close to 30 points. I think those first six games and the last couple of games only getting around a 12, 13. Um, so who's going to show up and you talk about scoring points? Are we going to be able to do that, right? And if not, um, can we depend on the defense to maybe show up and get some turnovers and the special teams to get some points and stuff like that? So we really don't know, but um, I'm – Confident in uh, Coach Dickert. I think they go back um, to the drawing board this week in practice and get things fixed. I expect them to come out hot. I expect the offense to come out hot. I expect the offense to be uh, clicking and um, Cam to continue to do his thing. And I think that we can go in there and get a victory. You know, Stanford kind of similarly is, is also very injured. They're down their top two running backs, plus I think a third running back. Um, they're down some linemen, they're down some defensive players. They are a very banged up team as well. So it, it's, you know, and then again, Dickert has said all year, everyone's hurt. There's no excuses for injuries at any point, but even less so, because this team's just as, you know, <clears throat> just as, uh, as wounded as you are, <clears throat> you know, Stanford, it's unique. And we'll talk about kind of the uniqueness of playing there in a minute, but I think you're in a situation where, you don't want to say must win, must win, but you look at if you don't win this game, you've got to win two of your last three to get to a bowl. That's ASU at home, but then at Arizona, and obviously there'll be a lot of emotions in that game with Jane Delora, and then the Apple Cup against what is a good Washington team. You know, as much as everyone likes to make fun of the Huskies, et cetera, they're six and two and they can put up a ton of points. So 
This is this and the next two games, Stanford and ASU, I think on paper are the quote unquote easiest wins. You want to get yourself to a bowl game. These are the ones to win. You don't want to have to try and win in Tucson or beat the Huskies just to get there. You want to have that locked up and then try and, you know, add gravy to it per se. But, you know, it's I just I do question Stanford's ability to move the ball. Um, they're they're also down their top receiver, Michael Wilson. You know, Tanner McKee doesn't usually have much time to throw. I, I think this is one of those games where Washington State has to come out with some fire. If they come out flat and they come out lazy, uh, you know what? Let me rephrase that. I don't think lazy the record. They come out flat and a little unenergized. This could be troublesome because Stanford will get ahead and then Stanford will play that grind and, you know, lull you to sleep type of game that they have made, you know, countless Rose Bowls on and won Pac-12 titles on with David Shaw. And that's where it gets hard for Wazoo to come back. They need to get the offense into rhythm, score on that first drive, score on that second drive, get a couple stops. Get up 14-0, get up 17-0. That will kind of ease things in a little bit, and it will put Stanford in a tough spot where they're going to have to throw the ball 50 times. Right, and that's where you want them. And you want them to be one-sided, or you want them to be able to uh, – if you want them to fight with one arm, right? You shut down the run, and you make them throw it. But I would um, tell you, Jamie, I think this is a must-win game. Hey, you talked about the gravy on top of it, and um, not being a – not being in a space to where you feel like you have to win these games. I don't think that's a very good spot for us with us still trying to feel our way out through this thing. Right. You don't know exactly what type of cool team is going to show up. We've shown flashes, of course, that we can make it happen, could come out, score a bunch of points. We show that we can come out and then shut down the run, man, and get a bunch of sacks and get a bunch of turnovers, but we got to, work on the consistency. So I think every week is a must-win game. We got to give ourselves some cushioning and we got to give ourselves some padding until we really know. You have kind of an idea on the, on the score, kind of some keys. What's kind of your final thoughts on this before we move on to the next segment? Um, I think um, I think it could potentially be a high-scoring game. Um, um, I know the Cardinals don't move the ball a much, uh, uh, Bunch, but I think the Cougs are going to be able to do it, right? So I'm not really saying a lot about the defense, but I think the Cougs are going to put up um, some pretty good numbers. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe uh, um, I think they get close to that 30. So maybe uh, a 34 to 24 game. Um, I think the defense is going to show up, but you never know what you can happen, of course, when you go into somebody else's backyard. All right. I said uh, – I think I said 24-16 Wazoo. Somewhat similar in that regard. Um, we'll move into the fourth segment. We I mentioned this a minute ago, but Stanford doesn't draw. I mean, they're, they're having a, they're basically trying to give away tickets. Right. Um, what is it like playing in a stadium that's not silent but so quiet? Where you know you prepare so much, um, so many times for for fan noise and how loud it's going to be, and then you go here and it's just like a library has been compared to. There's no noise. There's no um, <laughs> energy coming from the other side. Yeah, um, you got to bring your own energy, man. You bring your own energy. You celebrate with your guys, man. It's like a party at the ball, of course, if you're on defense. I know that's what we used to do. You, you um, And you get down there and you just show out, man. You try to have a good time and you tell yourself, you got to kind of work through this self-talk thing. So all the assistant coaches, um, 
they're going to have to put in work too, just as far as keeping everybody motivated and keeping everybody into the game. Um, not letting people that kind of get lulled to sleep. Right. Because just like you said, it can be a trap game in that way, just because of the crowd noise. It's not the same. Um, I just like playing in that. Um, just not the same as playing in Pullman, man. Mm-hmm. Pullman is lights, it's energy, it's a bunch of cool water in the air. Yes, just, sir. Yeah, but down in Stanford, man, it's different. I remember playing down there, and you got the. Uh, do they still got real grass down there? That I do not know. I've I've never been down there, but okay, yeah, I know they had the real grass. And when I was playing, they had a big time receiver there, a guy by the name of a uh, Tao Johnson, and he's from. Washington. Um, we both went to the NFL at the same time and ended up having the same agent. And he's like six, seven. I think he played tight end in the league. But so I had to personally, I had to make sure that I was ready to go, man. I was going against one of the top guys, of course, in the pack at that time. So you just really got to mentally be ready going into quiet stadiums. You got to bring your own energy. You got to do this self-talk thing. I used to do it all the time. I used to it kind of build this narrative that that people thought I was trash, that I was kind of the underdog, and that was fairly true. But um, this is why I always felt like I had to prove somebody wrong. But, yeah, it's just you got to play these mind games. So you come into the game, you're focused, and you're locked in, and then you party with your boys on the field. What's the, uh, what's the quietest place you ever played in? Ooh, the quietest place. Might have to be Stanford, man. Might have to be down there. Really? In okay. Yeah. So it's I mean, always been like this. Too. Yeah. I'm thinking in the league too, but I think it was, uh, I mean, in the league, everywhere you go is fairly loud. Some of those places can get fairly quiet. You really don't hear it, but it depends on how the game is going though, because you might right. spark a little fire, of course, in the Stanford, uh, crazies if they're out there doing their thing man they're moving the ball around and the defense is hitting and big hits and stuff like that you never know of course what's going to spark the crowd but the Cougs if they come in and take care of business I think they'll be all right man the crowd will be the same I don't think it'll be an issue very well said moving on to segment five we'll just talk a little Pac-12 um so the first uh first college football playoff rankings just came out we're recording this on Tuesday night uh well, let's talk about this. Tennessee, number one, I think caught a little some people by surprise. You know, Georgia had kind of maintained it throughout the year um, in the AP polls, and then suddenly uh, Georgia or Tennessee takes over. Um, then Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson. So if the playoff starts today, it's those four. A lot of controversy. Alabama with one loss over an undefeated TCU team. Um, and then Oregon, eight. USC, nine. UCLA, 12. Utah, 14. And Oregon State, at 23 so five pack 12 teams get in but definitely some uh there's all i mean it's always controversy with these things but you know the, those discussions i'm sure with with alabama now granted the one loss is to number one tennessee by right. three points but um always interesting to have those conversations but yeah five pack 12 teams and four of those five wazoo has played and lost to so their only losses are in the college football playoff rankings right i guess that could be um so is that the bragging rights you want, though? Maybe, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, in these rankings, man, it's always crazy, and you never really know. There's always a couple stories in there. And, you know, talking about Alabama and teams like that that have the history and that have the 
following and they have the money and all this kind of stuff. It's like they're going to be in there anyway. So you call it controversy. I just think it's part of the plan. I'm kind of a, a conspiracy guy like that. So. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Um, but, you know, for the, in terms of Pac-12 storylines, I don't think it, nothing really stood out from this past weekend. I mean, it's, there's always seemed to have been, oh, wow, this one thing happened, this one big upset or this one – everything kind of was par for the course, right? I mean, if you look at the, the finals, uh, Oregon beats Cal pretty – I mean, I guess Arizona gave USC a bit of a fight, but that's not that surprising because Arizona can score. Uh, UCLA ran over Stanford and Arizona State beat Colorado. So nothing that's like, wow, just absolutely shocking. But, uh, you know, Cal is scaring Oregon there for a little bit. And then Oregon, they're just, they're too good this year. Um, I, I I think they might be the best team in the pack. I mean, I think we'll we'll probably find out. I'm sure they'll get USC. Uh, probably we'll get USC in the, uh, in the Pac-12 title game, either USC or UCLA. Um, still a couple tough games left. I mean, they got Colorado this week, so I think they'll be safe there. Uh, then host Washington and Utah and then uh, or in Corvallis to face Oregon State. But I just don't know if I see another loss for them. They've been playing really good football. Okay. And you think it's playing out like it's supposed to play out then is what you're saying, huh? You know, I, I kind of do. I mean, I thought it would probably be USC-Utah, but uh, and I didn't expect UCLA to be this good. But just kind of the way it's going, it's it, it kind of seems like, uh, you know, last year was so unique in that Washington State had – that uh that one chance or had a great chance late to maybe sneak into the in the Pac-12 title game if Oregon had lost to Oregon State um to end the season but uh otherwise I mean it's this is kind of what it's been a couple teams here and there Oregon USC UCLA some Stanford some UW some Utah and yeah there's been an outlier but there hasn't been a whole lot of disparity with the conference um in terms of who goes to the Pac-12 title game okay I got you um, but we'll move into the final segment now. Uh, we got to talk about Abe Lucas. The Seahawks win again, which is awesome. But he just uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, speaking of Oregon, one of the, the better young pass rushers in the game, stymied. And, and Charles Cross on the left side had a part of that, but just stymied. I mean, I didn't get a chance to watch the game. Uh, I was driving some friends up to uh Spokane to drop them off at the airport and then came back. Is at the volleyball game and the women's basketball exhibition? But everything I just see is. Nothing. Nothing gets by Lucas. And then I watch the highlights and I, I I go back and I watch the highlights and I'll watch like what actually happens. And then I'll go back and I'll just watch him on every play and just in every play. It's nope. Nope. There is no pressure coming off the right side. Um, and there wasn't a whole Frankie Louvu had a good another good game for the Panthers. Jalen Thompson doesn't miss. He has one missed tackle this season. Overall, this season as a safety. Uh, yeah. Uh, and even Gardner Minshew uh, got in as a backup for the Eagles. But Abe Lucas. Just is is something else. Abe Lucas is on his game, man. You talk about Geno Smith and his success in the Seattle Seahawks offense and what they're doing, man. It starts with the offensive line. And, uh, you know, with Abe Lucas, and they thought, of course, that um, he was going to be this pass set guy, right? He hasn't played a lot of football by putting his hand in the dirt, but the dude's a beast, man. He, he, he can do it all athletic I mean it really makes it happen so this dude um tons of rookies for the Seahawks of course are playing well um talking offense and defense but uh Abe Lucas has been a huge standout so big sought out to the big nasty out there the Cougs is making it happen man it's a good look it is and I think it's uh we've talked about Abe Lucas Marcus Trufant Seahawks need to draft some more Cougs it clearly works but seriously the last two Cougs yours truly right here Marcus, not me. I was never drafted by the Seahawks. 
and Abraham Lucas. I mean, both guys, very, very good. So, I mean, it's it's something's working. And, hey, Dayon Henley, maybe he's next up. Could use some hey, defensive help. We could use some defense help, man. And the Cougs, uh, just like you said, man, it's, it's tough. Um, I guess maybe the last couple of years has been a pretty good. But Cougs kind of just fly under the radar, man. And that's kind of what happens, man. Even with a uh, a they, they didn't really think, right, um, that he, he would come out and be the type of player that he is now. But that's what we do, man. We we play this underdog thing. We come out and we show and prove and we make it happen. So, again, uh, big shout out to Mr. Abraham Lucas. Go Cougs. Thank you all for listening to True to the Cougs with Jamie Vinnick and Marcus Trufant, brought to you by the Believe Network and presented by Bet Online. Make sure to follow True to the Cougs on Twitter and Instagram for all the latest updates on the show and some other Wazoo notes. Uh, and as always, we will close things out with a let's go Cougs. You know what time it is. Go Cougs, baby. Go Cougs. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.